Hey there, onesies. Welcome to another bonus episode of the One Man Podcast. My name is Josh Williams, and I am excited to bring you the episode here, my first interview of 2021 with my friend, a comedian, teacher, fitness enthusiast, uh, Jen LaBelle. Um, Jen is a, an amazing comic and I actually had the pleasure of, uh, back when I was running the sort of new talent section of, uh, absolute comedy. Um, I was the first person to put her on stage, which is, uh, you know, something I'm very happy little, little thing that gives me a little bit of joy because I've had the pleasure of watching her for nearly a decade, just develop as an absolutely phenomenal comic. And it's, uh, it's always fun to, to share the stage with her and we sit in the green room, we have fun conversations and things like that. And you guys get to hear uh, a lengthy one today. Uh, we talk about all sorts of different things. Jen's a teacher. So we talk about teaching in general and kind of like what some of the COVID teaching is like, um, you know, some things that were like when I was in school and she was in school versus like the way they teach. Now we talk about stand up comedy. Uh, Jen's actually my first ever, uh, female interview guest. I've had lots of female co-hosts. Uh, it's not that I've, I've tailored it this way by any means, just, uh, every time I've tried to book, uh, you know, a female guest, um, just schedules don't work out or whatever. So, um, I actually get to ask Jen kind of some stuff like, what has she noticed about being, you know, a female in the comedy industry and things like that. So just, we have a good conversation. Um, lots of laughs. There is a little bit, very little bit of like sort of technical. Um, we did this via FaceTime and, uh, there's just the odd time where it'll cut out slightly, just like go completely blank. It's one of the things that concerns me about doing like zoom comedy shows and things like that. Just sometimes the audio will just sort of go blank. So I don't believe there's at any point where you can't understand what she's saying because of it. It doesn't ruin the context, but it's just sort of one of those things where you're, you know, filling in the blanks, uh, mentally. But again, it, it doesn't really affect the episode. I'm just letting you know, if you hear the little cutouts and stuff, they're not editing mistakes. It's just the, the platform we chose to talk. I know at one point she actually said something probably really funny because she says it and we, I, we can see each other while we're recording and she says it she laughs loud but on my end it was nothing but silence couldn't hear her, couldn't anything um so i mean again and then i just asked her to repeat it but it's funny enough um we had a great chat uh technical issues aside and of course we're all just learning how to make this work but i had an absolutely phenomenal chat with my friend uh, jen labelle you guys can check her out she's got a uh, an instagram uh, page called all things fit and funny. Um, you'll find her on that and she hosts, I believe I, it's a daily like workout. So she'll do like the, I think it's called Instagram reels or whatever. We talk about how little I know about this stuff in the episode as well, but, um, all things fit and funny is Jen's, uh, contact, I guess on, um, on Instagram. So the handle where you'll find her, all that fun stuff. But she's, uh, she's got a great page. In fact, I've even been since our interview, I even watched a few of the workouts and things like that. that she suggested. So, um, if you're looking for sort of like someone to lead you through a daily workout, uh, definitely check that out. And in the meantime, please enjoy my chat with the very funny Jen LaBelle. Yeah. I try to get out daily at least once a day really easy to miss it right when you're working and then i'm like hey i want to get a workout in you have to work out inside and then all of a sudden it's like 4 30 and it's dark out and i'm like fuck yeah like, uh, and there goes another day i haven't seen the sun or i haven't left my apartment oh it's i i already fail the first two things you said like get outside <laughs> and get a workout and i'm like i do neither <laughs> 
I look out the window and then usually like my sleep schedule has gone to complete shit during, during yeah. lockdown. Like I was talking with a friend the other day and I mentioned on the podcast this week, I, I'm at the point now where I'm like trying to have a sleep schedule yeah. out the window. If I'm tired, I sleep. And then if I wake up, I wake up. So I'm just, I'll just work until I'm tired, go to sleep, wake up. And then if it's two <laughs> hours or five hours or 12 hours, sometimes rarely, yeah. but once I've, yeah, so I'm all over the map. So it's good that you're taking care of yourself amidst yeah. all of this. <laughs> so thanks for, uh, for doing this. Thanks for having the, uh, the chat with me. Um, here's a little fun fact, which, um, I've been trying to remedy for a very long time. You're my first female guest, uh, like bonus episode. Yeah. I've had lots of my female friends co-host like a regular weekly episode with me, but in terms of like a a showcase interview episode, you're the, you're the first one. Cause I'm very misogynistic as you know, (laughs) no, I've tried, I've tried to schedule some in the past and then just, uh, some of them haven't worked for scheduling or whatever it is. So, and then I just, for like, I've been uploading all my old episodes to YouTube and for a long time, um, I haven't had any, any bonus interview episodes at all. So just started yeah. doing them again. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm glad that, uh, I'm glad that you reached out and that we were able to, to coordinate something cause this will be fun. So I always start in a very boring, formal sort of way and ask, this is the, the one I start with is who were you before you started stand up? Are you recording now? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> <gasps> Who was I before I started stand? Oh gosh, I was, I was a teacher, um, and a waitress. Okay. And yeah, part-time waitress, and uh, I guess I was part-time athlete at that point. I was still playing a lot of sports, and um, yeah, it, it's funny because. I, I hated waitressing, but without that job, I probably wouldn't have started stand up. Interesting. Yeah. Because I worked at, um, pizza hut for four years. That was my first serving job. And I loved that job. It was so much fun. And it was mainly the people I worked with. Uh, we had a great time and, uh, it was obviously a shit show. Like you just hear pizza hut. You think, first of all, they needed waitresses. Um, but I started working there in like 2005, I think. And I would come back to hang out with my friends on a Friday night after my shift. And I would tell them stories and make them laugh really hard about the just chaos that was Pizza Hut. Uh, and then I started working at Boston Pizza. So I just did the rounds of the pizza places. The pizza places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you like, and it's fascinating enough. You're like, oh, I was a teacher. And I, and I knew that of you, that, that you were a teacher beforehand. And that's even interesting to me is that like, what, what got you into teaching? Um, you know, it's funny. I, I all, for as long as I can remember, I wanted to become a teacher. And one of the main things that I tell people, and I always, what surprises me about being a teacher is that most students don't like teachers. <laughs> they, yeah, they really don't. You really have to earn your, your, your relationship with them and uh, earn their trust. And as me growing up, I kind of went into the classroom from what I remember with a different mindset. I liked teachers and you had to be a really bad teacher for me not to like you. Mm-hmm. And I had some great teachers in high school. And that just, I remember my first time thinking I wanted to be a teacher was in grade three. I had this lovely, lovely woman. Uh, she was so 
like motherly, which is ironic because I'm not maternal whatsoever. Um, but I loved her. She used to give us all a hug every day before leaving class. Like she was so cute. She was an older woman too. Like it wasn't creepy. Obviously, she was like. I was going to her- say, did she get me too? So <laughs> she used to hug all the students. Like so wouldn't fly. Those wonderful acts of kindness that wouldn't fly today. Yeah, you know what I mean. Well, you know what? She. It's funny because as a kid, I probably remember her much older than she was. But because uh, when you're a kid, someone in their forties seems old, right? Right. Yeah, I what I re- I remember her as close to like sixty or maybe in her early sixties. Um, so it's very possible that she's dead now. But uh, she is. She was one of my main influences to become a teacher. Then I went to high school. I loved high school. I had so many great teachers. And then I became one, and I was like, "Wow, this is a lot harder than I anticipated." Um, but yeah, it was my teachers who who inspired me to become a teacher, and I also wanted classroom fun and I thought I had the personality for it but yeah it's it's a challenging job for sure I can imagine and I I had a conversation I did an episode and I don't remember if Mikey told me this on the episode I did with Mike Stork um I don't remember if it's just something we had a, a conversation about or if it was in the episode but he was saying to me like he gave me because you're saying some people I like, didn't like teachers or whatever I was one of those people that like there were some teachers that I really liked and some that I absolutely despised <laughs> Mm-hmm. Because I, I've always been a very like, you know, like why, you know I mean? Like, what's the question or why, why do we need to, to learn this? Or why does this work like that? And teachers have a very, like, it's just the way it is. Just shut up and yeah. take it. And I, <laughs> and I think we've learned, and I'm sure you're, it would be fascinating. Um, I don't know if it is for the listeners, but for me, it is, is to just figure out because we've learned that there's people learn different ways. And yeah. I'm sure just throughout the time period that you've been a teacher, the whole, I don't even know if I, I hear about them incorporating like iPads into classrooms now and technology's changing and we're learning more about things like, you know, ADHD and stuff like that. So it's not like the old training them to be assembly line workers kind of thing. Like, like when we were growing up where it was like the, all those things like the bell ringing and go to lunch and sit in rows and all those things were all designed to make you a, you know, an assembly line worker one day for the vast majority or whatever. Anyways, what Mike and I were talking about is he was saying that like, um, he always had a problem with authority and I know that I did at times. And what he had explained was that where he was coming from when it came to, you know, teachers and principals and people in positions of authority, uh, he used to get bullied and stuff. And he's like, when I got bullied, I would go to these people and they would never help me. They would never resolve the issue. But they were always punishing, go to the office, go out in the hall or whatever. So he's like, so to me, authority figures always punished. They never helped. Uh, Do you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. I can definitely relate to that. Even as a staff member in the sense of, for example, we just had, like, we're teaching online right now, right? And we just had a student suspended from remote learning. And it was a, <laughs> it was a Zed class. And of course, the, they're, they're trying to keep the kids active. So they're running fitness classes um, through like Google Meet. And they're forcing the kids to turn on their camera, which I totally agree with because otherwise most kids won't be actually doing the exercise. And But you have that asshole in the class who videotaped a kid who's maybe not the most coordinated or athletic. And then it went through social media and that, that kid was distraught. And in my eyes, that kid should be kicked out of the class. He should lose his credit. 
done. You'll redo it next year. You're a credit behind. That's because I believe the consequence should be as bad as what the victim is suffering from. Okay. And he was suspended for two days. Like what? Well, he got, he wasn't able to join the Google meet. Great. He probably played video games for two days. Mm, absolutely. So I can see where Mike is coming from. Whereas I don't think they are harsh enough on people, especially with bullying and yeah, something's got to change for that. So um, it's funny that you mentioned the whole like structure and the assembly line because we still have a lot of that structure in terms of, like the bells and kids still sit in rows for a lot of the classes. It depends on the class, really. If you have like a really chatty class, you adjust your uh, seating plan. Yeah. Do you remember how but, fun it was to just like sit in a circle in drama class or whatever it is? <laughs> yeah. Like all yeah. the art shit, even like in class, in art class, like the desks were in a circle. It was just different. It was like... Yeah. I don't know. It felt more inclusive. You weren't evaluating how you were sitting. Yeah, it was yeah. just that drama was fun. And I'm just, even now just thinking, I'm like, are all classes like, I'm like, no, we sat in a circle in drama. Fuck. I liked drama. I paid attention in drama. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Cause I always say that drama, drama and phys ed, and I can say this cause I don't teach phys ed anymore, but drama and phys ed are the hardest classes to teach because of the lack of structure to them. Really? It's very, yeah, and it, again, it very depend, depends heavily on your class and the kids in the class because you can have a phys ed class that is so much fun. They're down for everything. They'll, they'll play any game you throw at them. They'll play well together. And then you have that class where there's people who don't want to be there. It's a dumping ground. There's kids with attitude. There's kids who don't get along. All they want to do is fool around and not follow the rules, and it's awful. It's one of the main reasons I got out of teaching phys ed because it was so unpredictable and I was so sick and tired of teaching kids fitness or sports that didn't want to be there. And the toss up at the beginning of the year is like, oh, am I going to have the great class or am I going to have the class from hell where I'm counting down the 75 minutes every day? Right. <laughs> yeah. So it's... um. It's definitely depends, but yeah, a lot of the structure is still there, but you're right. We do accommodate a lot for students. There's some students who don't even have to write a test anymore. They can verbally give their answers and someone is there typing them for them. Wow. Because some kids think so fast and they can't write fast enough that they lose their train of thought and get those answers on paper. So it's another reason though, it's, it comes with pros and cons, right? Like you're, you're, the kids are doing better in school and their grades, but at the same time, they're lacking these life skills like reading and, and writing. Um, yeah. Cause some kids, you know, kids can't even read cursive anymore. Like if I give comments on a paper, I have to print it or they're like, miss, right. I can't. Read it. I heard that. I, I, I've always been a printer anyways. Like I can write cursive. I just always yeah. been, I print just as fast as I write in cursive. And I think because of the transition onto computers, it was like, well, the whole idea with cursive was that you could write faster without having to lift your pen. And yeah. now that everything's typed, it's like, we're going to waste a, 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 you know, a, <laughs> like that's why they don't teach cursive. We're going to waste a section on this. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, it, it's like, it's just, it's listening to it is, is funny. I, I will bust teachers balls all the time. I I'm like, oh, it's, yeah. you know, nine, nine months a year. Sounds real tough. You know, <laughs> <laughs> These five day work weeks and like, ah, oh, what's a spare period? Anyways, I, I just, I, I tease, but, but it's, it's interesting because as soon as you were like, oh, there's kids that, you know, we just write their stuff down for them. And I was like, 
that sounds ridiculous. And then as soon as you explain it, I'm like, oh, I think that there's merit to that because I'm definitely somebody who like even writing ideas for jokes, I'm, I'm yeah. so far ahead mentally in my hands. Like, stop, slow down. <laughs> it, my hand is me in gym class. Like, Guys, wait <laughs> up. Like, do you know what I mean? I'm leaving myself in the dust. <laughs> but, so I, 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 at first I was like, yeah, no, that sounds great. The only flip side to that is that I, I go, well, unfortunately, once you're done school, I mean, I, I don't know this, but I assume that you're not going to have access to just your own personal assistant who's going to write everything. So it's like, yeah, it's, it's helpful, but it's also, I mean, I, I would think it, it also seems kind of like a disservice because you're getting me used to, you know, someone's doing that for me. And then I go in the real world and you're like, well, we took care of you when you were our problem. Now you're not our yeah. problem anymore. Deal with it exactly. on your own. And I think that is something that a lot of kids, students struggle with going, moving in from high school to university. I think at the post-secondary level, they're, they're starting to accommodate a bit more. But like life in general and with major obstacles like that, I I don't even know how that would work. I'd love to talk to a student who graduated, you know, five years ago and see how they're doing now. But I do try to prepare students for that, especially because now I teach uh, cooperative education where the kids are actually, I place them in different workplaces. And I had this one kid who anytime he made a mistake, he would blame it on his his uh, learning exceptionality, which was he had a- Is that what, is that what it's called now? Yeah. It's not called <laughs> it's called an exceptionality. And his was memory. He had a really bad memory. Okay. So for math, he would get like cheat sheets for his equations and stuff. And so I'm talking to his mom and, and she too, like, because I, I called the kid out on over email one day. I was like, listen, when there's a solution to a problem, which is you setting your alarm to remind you every day to do this task that I've asked you to do 14 zillion times, when it's part of your routine, it shouldn't be something you forget. I'm like, do you remember to brush your teeth every day? Then you can remember to sign in and check with your supervisor. You know? And um, and the mom, too, was kind of like defending him. Well, he has a really bad. I'm like, listen, he's graduating in seven months nobody's going to care anymore that he has a bad memory. He yeah. has to learn how to manage that and figure out a way to carry out his life and do a good job, or he's going to get fired because mm -hmm. employees don't care. Oh, you have a bad memory. Well, that sucks. Like, bye. well, there's, a, and there's a few things to that. Like the, the big one, and it's not to make it too heavy, too off, you know, off the bat, but like there there's a certain, I don't know, this is one of the things that I find fascinating. It's one of those things. It's not like who's to blame, but it's more what's the solution. Because some yeah. people have that attitude. Who's to blame? That's a negative way of going about things. It's very, it's a very aggressive and attacking way of things. But sometimes just what's the solution? But um, there's studies that show like that the suicide rates of kids is like way higher than it once was because of systems that are in place. I won't blame the, it's the school system entirely, but there's just systems in place where you can't fail and everything is made so easy for you. That's where I go back to the whole, well, it's great to have someone, you know, a stenographer writing down everything that you're saying so that, you know, you can just talk, but you don't get that in life. So what happens when you go out where everything hasn't been curated for you to be as accessible for you as possible? And now all of a sudden we're getting even, even bullying <laughs> to an extent has a little bit of value. Yeah. Right, I, right. I, now I know how crazy yeah, I've like, never said <laughs> those words in my entire life. I've never said yeah. them before, yeah. but just thinking about it, like 
I mean, you're a comic. I'm a comic. There's a certain level of ball busting that goes yeah. on in, in those green rooms or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And I would say that the industry is going to kick the shit out of you. So it's almost like we're just continuously thickening our skins. I got bullied when I was a kid and it definitely was horrible, but yeah. there's a part of it that I almost think that like, I don't know if I'd be a comic today if I hadn't learned the defense mechanism of being able to make light of, of stuff and, and make the yeah. drama out of it. Now that's not me defending bullying, not in the slightest, but just, Maybe there was something uh, to it, but I just mean that like the, the fact that everything is so curated for success. I just, I guess what it is, is I think a lot of people like, look, I don't want to be the one responsible, especially nowadays. Nobody wants to be the one at fault for anything. So it's kind of like parents are like, Hey, the schools need to teach this. So the parents kind of wash their hands of certain responsibilities. The schools are like, look, we give them everything that we need so that we're not responsible for little Billy and Sally getting bullied or whatever. But I think there's a point where just all these people are sort of like, and now you're an adult at the end of high school pushed out the doors. And they're like, great. Everything's easy. There's no failing participation ribbons, right? There's going to be somebody who writes down everything I say, let's do this. And then just, then you get, like you said, your boss isn't going to care. Your, your job isn't going to care. You know, the world isn't going to care about whatever. That's the part that I don't know. I just, in terms of the whole system, the whole yeah. system, I'm like, oh. there seems to be a fundamental flaw with that because then people experience, instead of experiencing failure early on and having a big, that support system there that can sort of help you through it. It's like, you don't experience any of that. And when you finally do, you're on your own. Does that make sense? Yeah. My friends always laugh at me because I, I, I'm considered a young teacher, even though I've been teaching for, for 10 years or over 10 years now, but, um, I have the mentality of an old teacher because I think we baby them a little bit too much and we handhold, just like you're saying a little bit too much. Um, the misconception of school these days is that you can't fail elementary school. That's true. Okay. And but what happens a lot when we, and of course we're talking about Ontario, every province is different, but um, when students gr- uh, come to high school, they they can fail. I, we fail kids all the time in classes, but <laughs> what I should note to parents is if your kid fails, they have literally done everything they can possibly do to fail because we give them <laughs> so many chances. It's, you know, before it was like, okay, you didn't do your work, you failed your exam. All right. Well, now we have, we have a a student success teacher who is constantly like you fill out a student concern. So at progress report time, you fill out that form and that, that kid's on the radar like a month into the semester. Then at midterm, they get their report card. Oh, well, you're not doing very well. You should pick it up. Then halfway through, we do like there's other more student concern forms. And then there's credit recovery opportunities for kids who are on the verge of failing the week before exams. They can go into school and recover that credit. And then if they don't do that, then they fail. How does that work? How do you fuck the dog the entire semester and you can save it within a week? How hot does that kid have to be? Oh, (laughs) that kid. That's the thing. It's like some kids pull it off. They really do. But because sometimes they're missing, like maybe it's a major assignment. And so they get that done in like the week of credit recovery. But um, yeah, and sometimes they fail in June. And it's like what they do now is failure means you credit recovery works in the way that if a kid fails that we go back and we look at which curriculum expectation they didn't pass. And then they only 
recover those expectations. So it might be like two or three assignments that they have to do. Um, but if, if we always, as teachers, we advise whether the kids should redo the course mm-hmm. or go to credit recovery. So if they do barely nothing, they redo the course. And if they're just missing, like if they're at like a 45%, it usually goes to credit recovery. But it's, would you say it's up to you guys most of the time? Like just kind of like you just get a feel for like, is it even worth doing the credit recovery or do they need to to pay attention? Like it, it would come down, like you said, I mean, I'm like a tough love. Like I look at, I'm like, you didn't do the work. You're failing. Boom. Like no, there's no, it's like some teachers are way more lenient than others, but I also factor in, you know, I had a student who lost her mom last semester. Right. So it's like, okay, the 15 year old lost her mom. She's going to fall off the wagon a little bit. Um, yeah, there's different like things you factor in, but what we do is we say, no, we give as teachers, we give our opinion. We show them our, our, it's called an evidence record. We show them, okay, this is like where all the marks are. And then we give it to guidance and the administration and they make the final call. Usually they do what we advise them to do. Right, right. I'm just yeah. thinking too, like it must be, cause you got to do parent teacher interviews. So not only dealing with like crazy kids at times, but like dealing with parents, I, and, and while I was thinking of that, I was like, oh shit, these kids that are graduating high school, they're going to have kids one day and they're going to be like, you know, when I was in school, what is this? My child's having difficulties. You know, like dealing with parents and meeting parents is my least favorite thing, but it's also, it can be funny too, because sometimes you meet parents and you're like, oh, okay, it all makes sense. Even just talking to them on the phone. Like I do a joke talking about um, yeah, I called, I called home and I, I spoke to dad and I was like, yeah, I haven't seen Kyle in two weeks. Dad's like, yeah, neither have I. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Terrific. Like that's a true story, you know? And I'm like, okay, well, no news is good news. You know, let's keep in touch, but you get parents like that. And then you get parents who are like so defensive. And then I remember I had parents come in and they're so supportive of you and they're just thankful that you are putting up with their child and and they'll be like, I'm so sorry. Like, we don't know where he comes from. Like they're so lost themselves. Do you have to, do you have to curate different personas for the parents or do you have just one that everybody gets and, and take it or leave it? I definitely get like, you feel the vibes of different parents, right? So the ones who are like, I can tell have a good sense of humor and the ones who come in are like, Oh God, what a fuckhead is he, you know, like, and they'll like make fun of their kid. Then I get kind of more loose and like with them. But then you get the parents who are really serious and very, very serious about their kids academics. And then you got to put on the, uh, the professional. Like, what do you do for a living? (laughs) Boston pizza manager. Interesting. (laughs) I can see why you're so serious about your child being successful in school. No, most of them are lawyers and doctors and Oh really? Yeah. Or there's uh there's a lot of people who think their kids are gonna be lawyers and doctors and I'm like mm. I'd say why would you want such a horrible future for your kid? Don't you want them to be happy? <laughs> I think it's really cool that that's something like teaching is something that you wanted from a young age because most people what they wanted to do when they were little isn't what they end up doing. Yeah, it's true. And to be honest, if I had to go back and do it again, <sighs> I might, I might do something else, but I never knew. I never like even considered another job. It's really strange. I I never even thought about it. I was like, what else would I do? I remember I thought about hairstyling for like two seconds because I love to do my friend's hair. 
And then my mom's like, no, you're not doing that. Like, okay. It's, it's funny. There's uh there's something called, uh, just thinking of the teacher thing. I want to share this with you. There's something called the Pygmalion effect. Are you familiar with that? That sounds familiar, but run it by me again. Okay. So what it was, was like, I, I think it was like an experiment done. They just picked two random kids and they told, they told a teacher like, uh, this one kid is a lost cause. Like he's, he's a troublemaker or whatever it is. There's nothing you're gonna be able to do to, to make them, you know, pass or whatever it is to, to pay attention or to care. So, you know, just, you can write them off, whatever. And then they told, you know, they picked another random kid and they said like, listen, this kid is bright. He's got a bright future ahead of him. He's a real friend. But the only thing is you got to keep him on task because he, you know, if he daydreams or gets distracted or whatever, like he's up, but he's so, you know, so bright or whatever. And then of course they, they did the experiment and when the, like the, just picked two random kids with nothing predetermined whatsoever. And okay. the one that was, that was said to have been a problem, his grades did go down everything like that because the teacher basically just wrote him off. And then the one that was said, this person's really bright, but you know, if they get distracted or daydream or whatever, you got to keep them on task. You got to work with them, but they they're bright and whatever. Obviously that, that kid excelled and, and yep. really all it, all it boiled down to was what the teacher's preconceived notion of the student was. I think that does sound familiar. Actually. I wonder if we talked about that in teacher's college. Um, it sounds very familiar. And that's that's interesting. I, I would say that when, because we do get briefed, when we have students, we have guidance counselors come to us or administration being like, you know, you have this person in your class and this is their history and this is what you can expect. Um, and sometimes I appreciate it, but yeah, sometimes I almost wish, it's almost better going in blind because you are, you do, you have this preconceived notion of them. You're like, oh, this kid's going to be a jerk. But so what, it's funny. One of my favorite movies is Freedom Riders. And ever since I saw that, I'm not sure if you've ever seen it. It's no. with Hillary Swank. Uh, Hillary Swank, it's, I think it's like uh, 2010, maybe. Okay. And it's about her as a young teacher, uh, based on a true story, this woman who went to Long Beach to work at a school that had just... Um, just started like voluntary integration. So there was a lot of cultural um, um, tension within the school and the, and the neighborhood and the community. And she went there, she was going to be a lawyer. She decided to become a teacher and she went there and the class was, everyone said the exact same thing, exact same thing. These kids probably will drop out by grade 11. Uh, there are huge problems. Most of them come out of juvenile hall anyways. And she, at first they treated her terribly, but she like connected with these kids and completely retained their entire lives. And they published a book together called freedom writers. Um, Cause they took, she had them write in journals about their stories um, and just all the like obstacles they, they went through. And it's one of my favorite movies. And like, it's so every time I go into class, I'm like, I just, if I know there's a kid who's going through a rough time or has a rough home life, I'm like, I'm so anxious to try to connect with them. But the thing I learned early as a young teacher is you will not connect with all your students no. as, as a matter because some of them just are not open to it, no matter how hard you try. Um, and then there's other classes where it's like, I, like I said, I, you know, you have some phenomenal classes where you genuinely enjoy going to work every day. And that's what teaching is. It's like, you kind of coast, and you have difficult times. And there's that one kid or that group of kids who like inspire you and just pump you full of gas for like the next year. 
and you're like on a high and then you get that terrible class again. You're like, why did I do this? <laughs> you get the amazing kids again. Yeah. You bastards. You guys got me excited for the next crop it's- and they're all garbage. <laughs> It's a roller coaster. It sounds like that movie's like uh, Dangerous Minds to an extent, where she goes in, yeah, and to Sir with Love. Story, Dangerous yeah. Minds, not, but uh, yeah, it is similar to Dangerous Minds. Um, Have you seen so- To Sir with Love? No. So that one's that one's old. That one's Sydney Poitier. So instead of being, you know, a white woman in a in a you know uh, minority school, dangerous minority school, basically yeah. it was a black teacher, Sidney Poitier going into an all white school in like London or whatever. And they wouldn't okay. respect him. Now they were already riff raff and like soccer hooligans or whatever, but they wouldn't respect him because of who he was. So basically dangerous minds is just a remake of to serve with love, okay. but, but also a very, very good movie about that. Now there's like a scene in it where he like the toughest kid in the class, like gets in a boxing match with him. Like he thinks he's tough or whatever. So Sidney Poitier's yeah. like, all right, well then let's, let's do this. You know what I mean? But he's got like, I guess, boxing experience. So he, oh, so he knocks, he knocks the fucking kid out. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's great. It's all the things you wish you could still do. Um, but, I wonder if there's a teacher out there that hasn't daydreamed. <laughs> oh, it's, and it's, yeah. a, and it's a great, and it's the same result converts them, earns their respect, whatever it is. Uh, it doesn't buy them a chicken dinner. <laughs> <laughs> but uh no I, yeah, I like i like those ones too they're inspiring i'm trying to remember it's like comic was a bit about that probably nathan mcintosh it feels like a nathan mcintosh joke about white women need to stop going into minority schools trying to change. <laughs> <laughs> just want to make a difference yeah he was he actually posted something recently about his school experience about getting expelled from school or whatever it is really yeah like well and the thing too is like i guess I mean, teachers are just like anybody else. You get different breeds, some with preconceived notions or whatever. Like I, I had teachers that hated my fucking guts. Yeah. One of them, his name was, uh, well, his last name was Williams like mine. So every time he sent me down to the principal's office with a note, it would be like, blah, 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 Williams, no relation. He would write all the time, <laughs> no relation. Oh my God. That's funny. Oh, I got in shit so many times. And I had teachers. I had good teachers too. I had one teacher, uh, her name was Miss Jeffries. I think it was Jen Jeffries. I could be wrong. She was young, mm-hmm. but uh, and she was like a like an ultimate frisbee player. I just remember that about her character. I'm like she's very <laughs> very active. But I I failed like half of grade ten, like half my courses, whatever. Because the the high school student that I was was very engaged in class. And then as soon as I was done, school, like as soon as the school day was over, I was like, fuck this. Like your assignments, that's ah, my time. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, hey, I was paying attention, whatever. Yeah. I'm going home to play video games and to work. Like I had jobs ever since I was like 10 years old. Like I had okay. paper routes and stuff. So like I remember working like in high school. I used to work at uh, Tucker's Marketplace. Oh. Like I would, yeah, I went to Glebe. So I would jump on like the 85 bus on Bronson and go to the market. And then I would like wash dishes till one o'clock in the morning. You know what oh, I mean? Wow. Like when everything was closed or whatever, and then take like the last bus home. So like, I, I didn't have time for schoolwork. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I, I was engaged in class, but I never did my, my stuff. Math was my worst subject. Um, okay. I, the thing about math is if you miss the first part of the lesson, like where they're teaching you the formulas, like I can do all of algebra, but, but like Pythagorean theorem rise over run. We were little (laughs) cocksuckers. We had a, we had an Asian teacher 
for math. And she would be like, rise over run. And we were like, rice over run. We were assholes. <laughs> Fucking assholes. We were immature males. I'm sorry. I was, I'm not going to sit here and I never said anything terrible, but, yeah. but I remember like, if you missed the formula for, for whatever the math, you know, section was, all you did for the next two weeks was just applying that formula and, and practicing it and expanding on it. So if I missed the first day, that was it. And it's like, <laughs> well, Josh, come back after school and see me and I'll walk you through it. I'm like, my time. <laughs> gotta go to work. Gotta go to work. Not gonna happen. <laughs> so it, my my math teacher, the second year of grade ten. Now I did I did do all advanced courses, if that means anything. So I wasn't in like general or basic or whatever. I was doing all advanced courses in high school. So I remember like I I I'm sure you know this about me. I've said it on stage several times. I I dropped out of high school. I dropped out of uh, the I end of like grade eleven. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. It makes so much sense now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I can totally, like when you said that you're not, you were not someone who was like doing homework and stuff. I was like, and someone who paid attention to class, I could like, I could totally see that. Cause when you talk, I can tell that you're like an intelligent person that comes off. Definitely. That's the drama class paying off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm portraying can, a much smarter person. I can definitely picture you as like, you're very, just book smart and life smart. And then you're, you were the kind of kid who probably could have passed high school on just your smarts and not barely doing any homework. I was lucky. That was, that's what I was bringing up with uh, Miss Jeffries. So she was my English and English writing teacher. And the second time I did, she was my teacher for the second time I was doing English and English writing. And she's like, she's talking to me like at the end of the school year, I'd already failed the class, like below, <laughs> below 50 from no assignments whatsoever handed it. And she's like, you're probably my best student. Yeah. She goes, there's no way I'm making you do this class for a third time. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So I'm passing you, but please just next year, like do the work, do the assignments because like you can like it, all that inspirational stuff that teachers yeah, You're say. clearly capable. <laughs> yeah. And then I just dropped out the next year. Uh, <laughs> so I felt, I felt bad, but the thing is like, I do enjoy learning. But some of it is just like, like I said, for me, it was a lot of the, like, if I was asking questions about something, that's what Nathan was saying in his little Instagram thing I saw recently. Like he was asking a teacher one time, like, what, when are we going to ever need to know quadratic functions in life? And they're yeah. like, just, just do the assignment. He's like, well, no, I'm not trying to be like, like, why, why do we need these things? Why do we need quadratic? Shouldn't we be learning how to make a hundred dollars last in a grocery store? Like, isn't that real world math that we're going to need to, you know? <laughs> and it's like principal's office. Like I got a lot, like when I was reading that, I got a ton of that and, yeah. and and it wasn't to like challenge or anything like that, but it was just that like, I, I wanted to know like, when is this stuff going to matter? I need to see value. If we're going to force that information in, which there's been several psychological studies that have proved like you can't force knowledge into your brain. If you don't want to learn something, it's infinitely harder to take it in. You got to get yourself into a accessible state. So by not knowing what value any of this has in my life, didn't make it particularly exciting for me to be like, just shove it in there. Yeah. I'm like, no, I want to, <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah, I, I'm not going to do that. Cause I'm going to go home. Well, I'm going to go to work after this and make the money for the practical application of, you know, spending. Yeah. That's part of life. I understand how that works. I'm going to go and do <laughs> that already. You need this to get a good job. I have a job. <laughs> <laughs> I have one. I don't know. It's, it's but it's something that's one more. 
Yeah, and, and I'm and I'm 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 enjoying hearing things like there's new ways of of learning. Like they're they're applying new. Fuck! I should have built this episode as in we're going to talk with Jen, the teacher, because I still <laughs> haven't gotten to like we're still in the who were you before, and of course now there's a lot of and I find this stuff so fascinating. But yeah. that was that was me in high school. It was like I I I love doing the drama stuff too. Never phys ed. Never phys ed. I wasn't. I wasn't. <laughs> I wasn't in bad shape in high school. I wasn't. I'll some. Uh, I'll try to fish out an old picture for you sometime to see what you won't even recognize me. Uh, what I look like, nobody does. But uh, I just Google Chris Hemsworth High School, and I'm like, this is what I looked like. But uh, <laughs> I just, uh, yeah, I I digged anything that was like social. And again, I really loved the classes like English writing, where we were talking about the ideas and stuff in books, like anything like that, conversational sharing ideas. I love even. Even now sitting in the green room and listening to other people getting their input on things and, and they're, they're, I love that stuff. I love it. Yeah. Cause that's how you grow as you, you take, I, I, the, the best piece of, of not like information is knowledge is power. The more yeah. that you learn, the more you can do with it. I did write my GED uh, a few years afterwards. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I was writing my uh, electrical apprenticeship and you couldn't sign up for that without high school. So I had to get my, my diploma. I got my GED. <laughs> Very exciting. I don't know where the fuck it is. Not particularly. It's not thing I'm the one I hang up on the wall. I'm not overly proud of it, but but I did write it and I, I got like I think 99% on the the GED test where they would when they sent it to me, there was all these like forms for like and offers for like scholarships and stuff. And I'm like, nope, just doing the electrical thing. That's, and that's long. You really do have like electrical training and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. Oh, that's cool. Like I don't have the license anymore. You have to keep renewing it. And it's not yeah. something, it's really not something I'd like to do. Like a lot of people go like, oh my God, it's so, it's so handy to have. I'm like, well, I still have the knowledge, Yeah. but I'm like, it's, it's the least creative thing you could possibly do. Okay. Like, well, there's lots of things like that, but I mean, wires go behind the walls. So mm-hmm. I could put them in and there's codes and rules. So there's no opportunity for creativity or anything like that. And then yeah. when all the work's done, you just have some guy come in and slap drywall over it. And you're like, all right, it's like everything I made just, it's there, but no one's like, oh, who did your electrical? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. I, we don't make the the fixtures. That's all, you know, Ikea yeah. or whatever. It's like, you can't even take any credit for that. They, oh, I picked these out. And it's like, okay. <laughs> It's like, nobody knows how we made that sconce work in a fireplace. It yeah. was a nightmare. <laughs> nobody knows. Nobody cares. No recognition. <laughs> well, that's the thing. So I'm like, I'm a creative person. I want to, when I'm gone to have left something behind. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So a lot of people to me are like, oh, like you, you love doing anything that's this. I'm like, yeah, anything where you just, where you create. Mm-hmm. Doesn't even have to be super creative. Just as long as something is there that wasn't there when I started. Right. So even yeah. folding boxes or putting stickers on things, just, I don't know. It's about the scope of my, my abilities. You put stickers nope. on things. <laughs> <laughs> no, I totally, uh, I, I see where you're coming from for sure. Yeah. So I'm glad I don't have to do it anymore. And I have a disdain for teachers. <laughs> no, there's lots of great ones. I, I, I can't imagine how difficult it is. And like I say, to have to, it's like having coworkers, you suck. Like nowadays, like coworkers that you hate and it sucks not to see them because you go in every day and you got these little colleagues that you have to deal with on a daily basis. You can't tell them what you really think. Everyone's like, oh, teachers can't say to the kids. I'm like, fuck, nobody can. 
Yeah. But yeah. these ones are like eggs. Like they're, they're all, all cry. It's not like, oh, if I say this to Sharon, will she cry? Like these ones will all cry if I say <laughs> what I really think. Yeah. And you're funny and clever too. So I can only imagine just sitting at your desk occasionally, like just laughing, like, oh, if I could, like, you think you got me good, Billy, but if I could say, <laughs> you know what I mean? I, uh, I have said a couple things to students where I've hurt their feelings. <laughs> Maybe not hurt their feelings, but if you, if you make, like as a teacher, if you make fun of a student, like in a, even if it's in a playful way, if you really burn them and the whole class like laughs, it was like, oh, you see their face just drop. And then I feel bad. And yeah. I kind of a kid, I think it was last year, maybe even two years ago. And I remember this so well. He did deserve it, but I, I felt bad. He I don't know. He asked, you know, they say there's no dumb questions. There is definitely dumb questions. And he asked me a question where the answer was like literally right in front of his face or something. Like he clearly hadn't looked at like what I'd posted online. And, and so I said something really quippy and he was like, geez, miss, you don't have to be so mean about it or something like that. And like people had laughed at him and I was like, well, Alex, like the answer was right there. Like, I don't know yeah. how this came out out of reflex. Like, uh, sometimes when <laughs> like 14 times too, you're like, Oh my God, I'm going to lose it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, that's the thing. You're human too. Yeah. Like, I yeah. guess the expectations that teachers should always be on in terms yeah. of like, yeah, no, you're never going to like, and the thing too about kids, you know, they, they do say some pretty funny things in terms of just like, like toddler level funny mm -hmm. sometimes where it's just like, there's no structure behind it. <laughs> so it's like, oh, I just, if only, if only I could say that. I had a student uh, recently and we say, but this kid was 18 years old, grade 12. Um, he referred to maternity leave as pregnancy vacation. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. And what's funny is that this whole assignment was about, it was during COVID. Uh, well, we're still in COVID. It like at the beginning of COVID last year where my co-op kids are doing online learning, which co-op is supposed to be at the workplace, right? So we're just throwing these assignments at them and making them read different articles. And so they were focusing that week on how roles within the workplace have changed and women in particular. And, uh, and, and he said, he was talking about like how women don't, why why sports isn't as significant with women or something. And he was like, you know, well, they get all these other things like pregnancy vacation and, and something else. And I was like, what? I just stopped at the pregnancy vacation. My Rob and I, my boyfriend, we sat there for 45 minutes trying to draft a response to this kid. And we had to delete everything we wrote. Oh, it's like, too funny. I'm sure <laughs> it's too fucking hilarious. Oh, oh my God. God. I would love to have heard what his argument will. <laughs> Sometimes the perspectives, I don't know if I ever told you this story. I, I just thought it was a cute thing. Uh, uh, Brody, um, Crystal's Crystal's son, when he was little, mm -hmm. remember one night I came home and I had to like uh, stamp a bunch of dates on some uh, absolute comedy passes. Um, or it was, or it was some free pass that I brought back that I was going to do some promo with. Anyways, I think they had the dates on them. So they were, they were, they were good. They were valid. Um, Brody, uh, Brody asked if he could have one. There's a 
little pile of them on the table. And I said, sure. And I assumed he was just going to take it up to his room and lose it behind his bed or whatever, like not really yeah. care or whatever. Um, but he took it with him to school the next day and gave it to his teacher. So oh he my- said, he said, here's a ticket to a Josh concert. <laughs> Cause him is not a show, right? He knows concerts and I'm, I'm like, so it's a, I thought that was really funny, but I also thought it was really cute that like he understood that it had value and he yeah. knew that kids couldn't go. So like the only yeah. adult he knew that was, you know, other than Crystal and I that he could give it to was his teacher. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. That's so cute. Yeah. Was he at the time? Oh fuck. I don't know. Let's say eight, seven or eight. Okay. That seems too old to say something like that. I think maybe, maybe like six. Okay. Yeah. Like maybe kindergarten or grade one or something like that. But it was just, it was cute. I remember too, like we had, I had my, my backpack with my, all my joke books stolen out of the car at absolute one time. And, and when I was telling him like, oh man, like, you know, nobody's like, nobody needs these notes. Like they mean nothing to anybody but me. So there's no value to them. I remember him, he was like, he felt bad and he was like, well, if you like, if you see somebody like on stage wearing like a jail shirt, telling your jokes, you'll know that they were the one like, like to him, the, you know, the black and white striped, I was I'm a bad guy, burglar, jail shirt, whatever. Like to him, criminals wear their uniform. It's like, if you see someone on stage wearing a jail shirt, telling your jokes, you'll know it was him that took you. Oh my God. Like I wouldn't be able to hear people saying stuff like that and not just like, I, I, <laughs> the, I, I hosted a show on national geographic. It was a kid's show and the amount of jokes that we had to edit out. <laughs> <laughs> Cause these kids would say something. And then like the director in my ears, like, you can't say that. <laughs> no swearing, but it was just very suggestive. <laughs> so I'd be fired my first day. As a, as a oh, teacher, if God. that ever happened, but that's awesome. That's awesome. Okay. Well, let's move on, uh, to, uh, to, so then where did you catch this? I mean, obviously maybe just based on the last thing we talked about, but where did you, where did you get this urge to try stand up from what, what sparked that? Uh, so my friends were the ones who sparked that. I, like I said, I, I'd come home from pizza hut and my, um, I was, I, I was a good waitress. In the sense that I'd get the job done, but I hated being like waitresses. I feel like are supposed to be those bubbly social people, you know. And while I'm social, I'm very like to the point. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, just what do you want? I'll get it to you. I'll get it to you quick. Your food will be good. Blah blah blah. Anyways, and then you'd have you know you have customers sometimes. So I'd come home and I'd tell these just ridiculous stories of like customers and the kitchen and. And I just make my friends laugh really hard. And then I was with them after a shift once at the restaurant and um, someone mentioned stand up and it was my softball coach at the time, actually. And he was, and someone mentioned stand up and he goes, you should do stand up. And I was like, what? And all my friends were like, yes. And so my softball coach actually looked on the absolute website and was like, figured out how to get me on. And he's like, you just have to email this, you know, open mic Mondays is probably emailed you. And three weeks later I was on stage and, uh, yeah, the rest is history. So that was like August, 2013. And then I like my first two years, I would say, but, uh, the first year I did probably like one show every two, three months 
So it was very, very spread out. And then I did that competition. Um, well, before, but I, I do want to talk about that before we go too far away. Do you remember your first time? Like, do you remember? Yes, and I remember your face after I got off stage. I don't know if you remember this. Probably not. But you were, you were just sitting at the back and I just remember your face and you're like, that was really great. <laughs> oh, really? And, yeah. And I was so nervous. I had the 24 hour flu the night before. Okay was awful so I was like throwing up before and I couldn't I'm someone like I like to rehearse my delivery and my jokes and I'm I'm very well less now but towards the beginning I was very very script oriented so I wasn't able to really practice and then um it was the most nervous I've ever been in my life really yeah yeah I thought I was gonna throw up maybe that was the flu but I looked and I only invited I invited three friends. I told my parents and they invited 60 people. Not even, not even kidding. 60. That's amazing. Yeah. So the audience was packed. Um, so it went well. Cause obviously I had a lot of people there supporting me and it's like, it's funny cause you look back and I'm like, it felt like it, it was a really good set. And then I remember I watched the video like maybe a couple of years ago and I was like, Oh my God, this is awful. Yeah. So painful to watch. I can't watch my first set. I have it. I can't, I can't, I tried to show it to Crystal once and I had to turn it off halfway through, which wasn't (laughs) fair. I should have let her see it and left the room. (laughs) Yeah. That's what I should have done. But I I don't like watching. I I don't like the sound of my own voice. Um, I find, yeah, I like a lot of people record their sets every, I know people who do like record them every single time. I can't do it. I can't bring myself to like watch the video, even if like, I know these people are not watching it because they're self-indulgent. They're really doing it to learn jokes and stuff and, and kind of rewrite stuff that they thought worked. But I go solely based on memory because I can't watch myself. I'm, I'm very critical. I don't like listening to myself. Like people like, Oh, you don't listen to your podcast. No. No, yeah. I don't listen to it. I, no, I don't think anybody likes the sound of their, well, there are people I'm sure, but <laughs> not, they're not going to be good comics. I know that like all the best comics are always criticizing themselves. Like that's the curse of being an artist is yeah. that you're never satisfied. You always want to do better and improve and you're looking for ways. So I always tell people like, whenever they're not happy, I'm like, well, look on the bright side. It means that you're still a comic. You're still an artist. Cause as soon yeah. as you're like, yo, fucking crush that. That was great. Like, I just, no, it's good. Like, all right, you're yeah. done. If you're not looking for ways to improve and how to make it better and everything, then, then yeah, you're done. for sure. And so, yeah, I, I, same boat. I can't, uh, I don't like listening to it. Sometimes I have to hear little bits as I, you know, add music or whatever at the end, but yeah, don't like, don't like it. I don't, I'll, I'll criticize like my laugh. If I'm like, if I'll tell a joke and riff with somebody and I'm, yeah. I'm criticizing that I'm like, you said, um, too, like, it's so much self-loathing just hearing and you're like well those people that make some people happy they like hearing this stuff i'm like yeah just shut up why is anyone like i know i uh yeah i i will record sometimes too just audio and even that i don't listen to so i have shit loads of sets never listen to them oh wow okay but it's but there's sometimes now because i've developed that whole you know sometimes i'll just sometimes a lot of the time i'll just riff with the crowd or whatever it is yeah Sometimes I'm like, oh, like I, I told like, there's lots of times where I will tell a story I didn't know I was going to tell because the nature of the conversation with the crowd made yeah. me think of it. And then I'm like, oh, that really worked. Yeah. Like the stories that I told about the kids that ended up being like the biggest bits in my act were yeah. things I threw out one night because like the dark, dirty shit that I was doing early in my career wasn't flying with this old crowd out in Stittsville. <laughs> so I was like, well, fuck you then. 
old assholes with kids. Well, I'm I'm like you, kinda, kinda. <laughs> that exact Jeez. show. Oh Were you there? <laughs> no, I just oh. I know exactly what you're talking about. Like when you're trying to do material and yeah. people are just staring at you, you're like, oh god. It's like when I do if I, I'll do certain material about uh, whether it's being hung over or like just or being a teacher, I don't know. And the crowd is too young, like on the other end of the spectrum. Yeah. They're like, I don't get it. Oh, I make this one reference. I remember I started laughing fully on stage because I referenced Alice Cooper and the audience. <laughs> like, who's that? It's <laughs> funny. Like, oh no. Like when I was young, I bear like if, if I hadn't seen Wayne's world, I probably wouldn't have known who Alice like. He did the odd appearance on like the Muppet show or something like that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I, I never, I, I don't know why he wasn't bigger in Canada, but yeah, that's, I see it too. in some of the references that I've done and it's just like, mm-hmm. so if I, if I do a reference, I'm like, it's gotta be something that's got more staying power. I'm yeah. like, I, it has to be something like huge, like in not in the last hundred years, like let's, <laughs> let's reference Lincoln or whatever it is. He's timeless. Jesus, something like that. Yeah. Cause I, that was, I don't know if you've experienced this in stand up, but I, I, uh, noticed, I learned early on that like, if I did a, a joke about something topical mm-hmm. that it had a shelf life and like, as I would start to get that joke where, right where I want it, the relevance of that thing had diminished. Right. So it's like, right when it gets good, now it's, it's over, you know what I yeah. mean? It's too dated. Yeah. It's very true. Cause it does take time to finesse that joke and, and perfect it. It's like people who are focusing like a lot on COVID jokes right now. I'm like, those are going to be done by hopefully by this time (laughs) or at least next summer. It's like Trump jokes. Yeah. Trump jokes. Yeah, for sure. That's why I definitely try to focus on observational comedy in the sense that that's just like everyday life. Yeah. But I also find I have a harder time writing jokes because I like something has to like happen to me in order to spark an idea right? for like a funny joke. Whereas like my boyfriend can kind of just sit there and give him a topic and he'll write about it. And that's why he's really good on the debaters. Cause like right now they're, he's working on a debate where it's like, pro rabbit versus anti rabbit. And I was like, what the heck? Like, I wouldn't even know. Like the vibrator. I figure such. That's how my brain works. Whenever yeah. someone gives me information, I'm like, how could I possibly misunderstand this? Yeah. <laughs> that's how I would, that's what I do with a lot of things. When someone, even if I'm doing crowd work and someone's like, I'm like, what do you do? And they're like, Oh, I'm, I'm blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, what's the way that I could misinterpret that? Like, I know what that is. But what about those words? Could I take the wrong way? And then I go, oh, you friggin' da da da. And everyone yeah. laughs, like, oh, that's not. But that's kind of like my mental formula for certain yeah. things. It's like, and how that's, can a, I... that's a really good skill in itself, too, like the crowd work. And that's something that I've tried to improve on. I feel like I've improved on a little bit, but I'm nowhere near your level. Like, I go up there with a script, and it also depends on how much I've been performing. I find I'm way better if, I'm, if I've done a, like a handful of shows and I'm just like crisp and my material is really fluid, then I can go off track and talk to the audience and find my way back. But like your, my first couple shows after this stupid lockdown, like I'm going to be trying to stick to a script because really 
memory is not there. Yeah. I would say give yourself permission to just do whatever you want. Yeah. Like have, well, we'll have like a couple of jokes, but then just, but just take a chance, take a chance and just, just tell a story. Like I, I was lucky that I saw guys. I think I told you this when we were, we were hanging out in the green room, but just for context for listeners is mm-hmm. I was saying that like, for me for a long time, I wasn't writing anything. Mm-hmm. And like I like I said before, like I I like being creative. So for me to like go on stage and tell jokes that I already know work, just for the sake of telling them, I'm like I'm stealing stage time from somebody else who would right. use it to work on it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, so ethically, like even when I ran open mic Mondays, I couldn't get everybody on that I wanted to get on, and there was lots of times where I would just give up my spot for somebody else because again, I'm not going to do anything but but fuck around. So for me, the crowd work came from. Well, let's see if I can just be funny off the top of my head. Do okay. you know what I mean? It was more like I'm going to force myself to be creative in the sense that well, I didn't write anything, so let's try to come up with shit on the fly. And I guess I got lucky that it worked, but I I also came up with with people who took me under their wing who were crowd work guys. So okay. I got to see kind of how it works like a lot of guys and I and this is the funniest thing for me. I really enjoyed this was doing open mic Mondays. I got to see a lot of comics try to do crowd work for the first time <laughs> yeah. and it fail miserably. And it didn't, it's here's the thing. It's not even that it failed. Yeah. It's that you would see them just out of nowhere, decide I'm going to try crowd work. Like you could see it in the set. They would tell their joke. Yeah. Then go, uh, uh, what do you do for a living? They'd be like, uh, <laughs> yeah. I work, uh, I work for the government. They're like, Oh, cool. Uh, anyways, uh, I was at the mall this week. <laughs> And it was just like, that's it. You're not going to try anything else. But I, I just, I just remember like, like working with guys like Joey Elias and Mike Dambra and other guys who like talk to the crowd is they don't get something that they can work with after the first question. I mean, sometimes you do, Yeah. but it's like, it's like a prospector looking for gold and he puts the shovel in the ground, digs up one lump of dirt and goes, no gold. All right, let's go somewhere else. Sometimes yeah. you got to dig a little bit to see if there's yeah. something in there. So you might not get it for, for the first little bit. So I, for me, it's like, you learn that, like, you can ask, oh, like, what do you do? You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, or uh, like, there's a couple, how did you guys meet? You know what I mean? And what do you both do for a living? And, uh, you know, like there's, you can ask some questions. My, my personal policy with crowd work is I don't ask any questions that I wouldn't ask at like a dinner party or a, or a house party or whatever. Like, you know, no one's going to sit at a table and go, Hey, is there any Leafs fans here? Like, <laughs> anybody here celebrating anything? Like, it's weird. I will. That's the only exception is as a host sometimes, Hey, do we have any celebrations? But I never go, Hey, anyone here from out of town? Anybody, any Leafs fans here? Any, like I go, what's your name? What do you do? Are you guys together? How did you meet? Yeah. You know, what does she do? I would say um, the thing that I struggle with, and I'm going to play this one, a few times I play the female comic card is with crowd work. Um, well, A, I find when I get up there, I have to prove myself because I don't look funny. Right? When I walk up there, I'm a very average looking person. And they're kind of like, I find I can see it on people's faces all the time. They're like, what is this chick going to talk about? And the second thing is, as a woman, I find when, because you know, crowd work, it, it often leads to like teasing people and making light of things. And I find as a woman, if I do that with men, they get their back up really quick. Yeah. If I'm making fun of them, um, even if it's just in a playful way, 
crowd work has turned on me really quickly because a guy gets insulted or he gets, I shouldn't say insulted. He gets, it's like he gets embarrassed more easily when it's a woman. That that's fair. Um, if you don't mind me, I, uh, this is my observation. Okay. Is I don't find you to be average looking. Uh, I find you, you're actually a very good looking woman. That mm. might be part of it. Um, in fact, I think the last, the last show that we worked together, you know, it's funny. Ever, I, I didn't hear a word you said for some reason, the thing decided that, that no sound was coming from your end. Not, no word of a lie. So I didn't, I didn't even catch. I was going to say, I said it, uh, uh, I didn't want to say that, but that's <laughs> you're like, I'm very average looking, whatever. And I'm like, I'm going to wait till she's done so I can correct this bullshit. No, it's, um, it's, it's not that I look like Giselle Bunchen, but I don't look, like I would have corrected that too. Don't worry. <laughs> I don't look like your average comedian. No, right? no, definitely not. No. And that, but that's, and that, that kind of works against you too. Because so that, and that was actually one of the questions that I had in here. Like, I'm not one of those guys who quantifies like, oh, you're a female comedian. You're a Mm -hmm. comedian, but you're also female. Like, I'm not like, oh, just blinders. Everything's fair. I'm egalitarian. I wish the world was fair and I give everyone a fair shake, but I know what the world is and it's not fair. Um, so that, that's one of the things that, that I was, I, I wanted to talk about is, um, well, I'll go back to finishing what I was what I was saying about this is that you you do have to jump through extra hurdles as a female, mm-hmm. um, because of the fact that when you get on stage, for starters, if you are good looking, it's almost like, well, who's this person? You know what I mean? Like yeah. women, like it's not just that you have to because the men, predominantly, not all of us, but a lot of us are going to go, oh fuck, a chick comic. I've yeah. I've been there. I've heard it. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And sure. in my younger days, I, I thought it like in my, my teens or whatever is like, ah, oh, fuck, but I've been proven wrong a million times and, mm-hmm. and it's not my opinion now, but you're going to get those people who are like, uh, oh, woman comic. And you have to also fight against the women too, because women are very competitive with each other. Very, thank you. Competitive is the way better word. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was thinking of a different C word. But <laughs> no, uh, I realistically, yeah, women are very competitive. So now here you are on stage with the fucking balls to <laughs> yeah. go up and, and do your thing. Like you gotta, you gotta win everybody over from a harder position. Do you know what I mean? And that, that can't be easy. That's, and it's, it's, I wish the industry wasn't like that. It's not fair. Um, mm-hmm. I've, I've had this discussion many times saying that like, that's a, that's a way harder. There's, there's not a whole lot of women who are exceptionally talented at the amateur level. Yeah. Um, for starters, there's way less women who try to do stand up. I yep. would say just a pure numbers thing. And I don't mean that the women who come into it aren't talented. What I mean is, is that you guys have to fight against all of those preconceived notions of the cloud. The Pygmalion effect, if you will, in comedy <laughs> where they're just like, Oh, it's a girl. She's not gonna be funny. Yeah. Give her a fucking chance. There's a lot of absolutely hilarious women, but I think the one advantage, and I don't know if you've experienced this, um, is that at that level, when you show talent, when you get to the point where you're like, oh, I got this, there's almost a little bit like of that middle section where middles and hosts, there's almost mm-hmm. like a bit of a, a fast track. Yes, definitely. Do you know what I mean? Like that's the advantage. And that's what I try to tell anybody who's starting. I go, you're going to have to work harder at the beginning. 
Yeah. I go, but if you do, I promise you there's a part where you have an advantage too. I go, I promise yep. you that because it's a commodity to be able to have people want to see women on shows. I want to see women on shows. To be a woman, to be a person of color, any sort of minority in the comedy world, like if you're a straight white guy, unfortunately, you have the hardest path in comedy, especially now. So? With, oh, <laughs> in terms of making money, I should say, not like you're, people are going to love you. They're going to find you funny. But to get festivals, to get those big gigs, it's like they want more women on the shows. They want more people of color. They And then they'll throw maybe one white guy on there. And that's one of the things I, I, I don't like about comedy is that I think I just wish that people were, were still getting shows because they were the funniest ones. And sometimes, I'll be honest, I'll see a show and I'm like, that woman is terrible. She's not good. <laughs> like, she's not funny. And, and she's probably on that showcase because she's a woman. And it's embarrassing as a, as a woman who's a comic to, to be like, I, I don't want to get a show because I'm a woman. I want to get a show because I'm just as funny as everybody else. Yes. Or funny. Yes. I, I, I made that comment about the year the Oscars did all women presenters. Um, uh, I, I remember saying that like, I go, I, I'm big on progress. I'm very yeah. big on progress, but to me, there's, there's a difference between progress and like pandering. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's right. like overcompensating, really. Right. Right. Like if it's like, Hey, you know what? We recognize we made this mistake and this year it's 50, 50 fucking mm -hmm. a that's, that's great. That's progress. But then yeah. it would almost be like, Oh, well this year we're going to have all fat presenters, people who are overweight and body shape. <laughs> Josh, you want to come be a presenter? Yeah. Fuck you. I don't want to be, <laughs> no, I don't want to be lumped into it because that's, it's a theme. Yeah. I, yeah. I just want to earn it because I'm, like yeah. I said, just good enough. Like, I don't want, I do not want, here you go. This is for you. Cause we realized we left you out. Like, yeah. fuck you. I don't care. Like yeah. I'll, I'll wait until I earn it. That's, that's just my issue with it. So like when it becomes that, like, oh, and I'm not the guy who's like, oh yeah, every show, there's so many funny people of all walks of life. There really are. Yeah. And at the end of the day too, even in our industry, there's lots of opportunities that we can create for ourselves. Like we can go rent our own theaters and put on our own shows and sell our own tickets. Um, yeah. but at the end of the day, we're like, well, I don't want to take that risk. I'll just wait till the, the festival calls us up. Jay, yeah. Jay, can I get a weekend? <laughs> <laughs> you take the risk. You put my name on the market. I'll just show up and sit in the green room and bitch about the state of affairs of comedy. Yeah. Um, no, I like, I, uh, I, I can definitely see you having to go through that stuff and it's, and it sucks. I would say do it anyways. Cause it, it like the crowd work aspect that we were talking about, mm -hmm. because yeah. they're going to think they're shit anyways. Yeah. And you might be handcuffing yourself from an opportunity that is really funny because you are really funny off the top of your head as well too. Like as much as your stuff that you script and you write is very funny you're also funny just sitting in the green room shooting the shit with the boys. And you have, I think that's probably comes from being a teacher too, having to put up with a lot of shit is that you also have a thick enough skin um, where like, I've never seen you, you know, I don't know, uh, succumb to the ball busting, whatever. I, I, mm -hmm. I'm not at everything that you've been to, of course, but um, I've, I've never seen uh, comics treat you differently because uh you're a woman yeah. however you have taken shit for things that is unfair and i'll i'll talk about that that's why i want to save the competition thing 
Um, <laughs> you have definitely taken shit for things that are not your fault. And I've come, I'll, I'll tell you, I'm pat myself. I've come to your defense. I will say my position on it, which I think, yeah. Um, I'm well, interested for this yeah. story. Well, one of the things that, that I wanted to say too, about being a, a, a new comic uh, as a female is another disadvantage you guys have is that like, for me, if I have somebody come up and be like, Hey man, you want to come write sometime, whatever. I'm like, sure I can, we're going to go right. We're working on stand up comedy. When you're mm-hmm. new in stand up as a woman, it's like, who's I'm just going to come out. It's like, who's is, is this person trying to help me? Or is this person trying to fuck me? Right. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And that's mm-hmm. horrible. And that's, it's like anything else. Uh, me too. Movement was a big eye opener for me because I was one of those guys who early on, I was like, come on, there can't be this many fucking animals out there. And, yeah. and I'm learning like, holy fuck the amount of like wolves and sheep's clothing. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So did you ever, obviously without naming names, did you ever have to deal with any of that bullshit coming up and stand up? You know, I've, I've been pretty lucky. I've, uh, no, the short answer is no. I've, I've worked with mostly respectful men. I've definitely, felt that men were flirting with you, but that's like, that's harmless. Um, um, I think now I've, I mean, I've been with my boyfriend Rob for three, almost four years now, and he's a very well-respected comedian within like around the, the country really. So most people know we're together. So that has definitely helped. I find, um, I haven't been hit on, other than from audience members. Okay. Uh, to be honest, I think the only experiences I've had in terms of like being whatever you want to call it, sexualized, it's been on stage where I've, you know, just saying, Oh, I'm a teacher. And you always get that comment. Oh, I wish you were my teacher. Oh yeah. Like, sort of thing. I've had that so many times. That's more offensive yeah. that it's not creative. Than, yeah, like, exactly. You know what I mean? Like really going to waste my fucking time uh, with that shit. One guy once said, um, uh, I think he said that very thing. Oh, I went, I wish you were my teacher. And it was like well into my set. And uh, Are you still in school, dude. Are you that yeah. fucking dumb? <laughs> and Your I was teacher. Like, <laughs> uh, and I was, I was talking about teaching and he, he, and he had been talking throughout the whole set and he was in the back and I couldn't really see him. And was, I'd had enough. And what people don't know about me is also as I'm, uh, I, I have my black belt in kickboxing. Oh yeah. I didn't pretty know that. Violent person and so he's like oh, i wish you were my teacher i was like oh i'd kick you in the fucking throat and like what's funny about that is i actually could kick him in the throat <laughs> but and so and what's funny is like as soon as i said it because it was a reaction i was like oh no like the audience is either gonna turn on me or but thankfully they laughed because they were all sick of his shit by the end of it um like oh they could those are that's something that like when you get upset like that people as a woman they were like oh you know she's turning nasty but and that's yeah and that's a thing that that i think we all all have to like i worry about that all the time when i'm doing crowd work is every now and again that i'm like am i going too harsh or whatever like i'll have a line in my head and i'm like i think this is really funny but they might turn on me and i will say that oh we're paused i don't know if we're losing connection here are you back no back yeah back. sorry no no worries Sorry, you were you were chopping up for a couple seconds beforehand. So I was like, "Oh, is this it? We're losing connection." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's there's times where I'm like, most of the time I'll go like, "Oh, you know what? I'm just going to tell the joke, and and if it bombs, I'll I'll own it." But <laughs> and it does it does not work sometimes. I go, "Okay, yeah, <laughs> moving on." Here we Too go. Mean. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, for me with the crowd work, my rule is like, 
when you were right, like it seems to go very, like, you know, we're making fun of people and stuff. My rule for that is I don't make fun of anything that people can't change. Oh, okay, so yeah. like I'll tease like what you're wearing or I'll make fun of your job or whatever it is. But, mm-hmm. but I, I like, if you're bald, I'm not going to make fun of that. You know, even but have you ever fun of someone and not been able to see them. And then you find out they're like autistic or, you know, have my entire life. That. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like oh shit you see them after the show and you're like oh i feel like an asshole i've been told things afterwards like um yeah like somebody who was autistic or or something like that and yeah you know and they wouldn't stop talking or whatever there's actually a comic who has a bit that he did one time where where uh, you know, there was a guy in the front row and he asked him a question and he, and he like looked at, at the two people he was with and, and didn't say anything. He's like, come on, man, come on, man. What's going on? Like, what's your name? I'm asking your name. He's like looking at them and it looked like he was like in a panic. That, and he's like, Greg, Greg. Like, and he was like, he would say like, he was started answering. He's like, Greg, I have a, bu-. and the whole idea was like, they were like, he was autistic and his parents came up to him after the show. And they're like, every time we take him out to a show or something, we have to sit him down for like an hour beforehand and be like, you don't talk. Okay. No matter what you don't talk. So like every time he's like, Hey, what's your name? What do you, come on, I'm talking to you, buddy. What's your problem? He's like looking over at his parents. Like, can I break? Can I break? (laughs) (laughs) I was just like one of this guy's stories. He's just like, Hey, come on. (laughs) Like He's a very sweet boy. And and then the whole rest of the show, he wouldn't stop talking because he, they broke out. I have a toy at home. You should come to my house for dinner. Like all that stuff. Those are the type of things that always happen to you when you're hosting because you're the first one to go up on stage. Oh yeah. And so, yeah. Everyone else gets to like scan the room and evaluate the situation. Oh, like I, I every kind of show I've seen ones where it's like a cancer benefit and the host doesn't know and he opens with his cancer material and yeah. it's like, oh, okay, <laughs> that's rough. Like the amount of like, okay, did he not, Simon, why didn't you come in here and tell everyone it was a cancer benefit? You fucking, it's not did like, not read the sign walking in the door. Well, a lot of the times they don't say like, cause we do fundraisers all the time. They're like, oh, there's a fundraiser here tonight. Okay. And like it's for like what, whatever the guy's going to open with, but he doesn't get to hear it because he was yeah. in the bathroom or whatever <laughs> it is. Like tell the host, he's the one taking the fucking beach on this show, right? He's the first one in. You're going to let him run out there with no fucking idea of what's going on. Where's the fucking, like, oh, <laughs> did you ever, did you ever hear that Larry Miller story? He's a mm-hmm. uh, famous comic. He, he played the, you'd recognize him instantly if you saw him, but he played the principal in the Nutty Professor movies with Eddie Murphy. Okay. But uh, he did a show and Todd Glass opened for him on that show. And so Todd Glass goes out, comes backstage, brings up Larry Miller. And apparently Larry Miller was trying to think of um, like, yeah, it's been a long time since I've been in a high, high school show. And he's like, uh, it's at nighttime, whatever. And he's trying to think like, like what's the last like material that I did about like schools or whatever. And he's thinking of this old joke. He's like, you know how even when like you're an adult and you go back to your old school, like you still call your teachers by their last name, even though you're like yeah. an adult, you're like, you know, Hey, Mr. Cooper, remember that time we set you on fire? <laughs> and he, he tells this joke. He's like, and Todd glass is like, not only was there no laughter, it was dead silence. And then just an audible, like, boo, like coming up afterwards. And he's like, what the fuck? So he finishes his set. But while he's on stage, the organizers are coming up to Todd glass and they're like, 
what is he doing? What is this problem? That I, and he's like, what do you say? So they explained to him that there had been a fire at the school like a, a week or a month or so, like not long beforehand. And a what? teacher died in it. And his name was Mr. Cooper. No. So he's like, so hold on a second. You think that he researched your school, found out what would hurt you the most, and then opened with it? <laughs> and, and, and he tells, oh yeah. And he tells Larry Miller afterwards, like Larry comes backstage and he tells him what just happened. And he's like, Larry falls on the ground laughing, like dying, <laughs> laughing at, at the fucking sheer coincidence of it. And he's like, and we just, we, we got the check. And we got the fuck out of there. Cause they were mad. They were so mad. And he's like, it's like one of those old black and white horror movies. Like we're in the car trying to start it. And they're coming down the hill with pitchforks and, and torches and a car won't start. Like <laughs> Let's get out of here. Like, but that shit happens to comics all the fucking time. Oh, that's funny. And, and there's no audience. There's not a single audience member that thinks, Oh gee, I wonder if it's probably just a horrible coincidence. You <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? It's like, oh, why would they do that? <laughs> fucking hysterical to me. But I, I don't know. Like back to that, that crowd work shit. I think, I think just go for it. Yeah. Just, just tell yourself, like, I'm going to maybe don't open with it, but sandwich it in between two bits yeah. that you know work. What I try to do is I try to put some in the middle. It's also hard, like, during COVID and pandemic, the sets that I have been doing, they've just been guest sets. So I've been doing, like, six to eight minutes. So I'm like, oh, I just want to get up there and punch the shit out of them. Yeah. Offer crowd work it takes up more time right there's a lot of pandering and pausing and and whatnot so it is hard to gauge your set i yeah. i have i've fucked myself many times like <laughs> yeah. oh i thought the, i have like no gauge of time so i'm like <laughs> oh i thought it was like a minute after it was like five minutes of fucking crowd work <laughs> yeah. seven minutes it was 11 minutes long and i <laughs> and i'm not one of like i'm not one of those guys who's like yeah whatever i'm like i genuinely feel bad when i go over my time which still yeah. isn't excusable but yeah. It's like, oh shit, I just had a pair. Why didn't you light me? Well, you're a professional. Clearly not. Clearly <laughs> not. If, if I'm just doing whatever the fuck I want, I'm clearly not. Um, but you did. So going back to you and your wonderful progression, you did, uh, you were one of the first, uh, contestants and mm -hmm. finalists of the, uh, prove your comic competition. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. Back in, um, yeah, I did my first competition in 20. Maybe I started in 2012 because the competition was in 2013. I'm trying to, I think, right? I don't know. I did it. I did my first competition 10 months into standup. And, and that, the competition was what really solidified my passion and love for it. And I was like, oh, I'm pretty decent at this. Mm -hmm. Like I could do something with it in terms of, um, I don't know. I was just curious to see where it'd take me from, from that point on. But well, you did, you did great in the competition. And I don't, I don't know if this is something that, that you ever heard. I, I assume as much because comics are asses, but they also do a lot of their shit talking behind people's backs. Yeah, of course. And, and so I remember one of the things that, that I would hear you take shit for community wise was mm -hmm. people got upset because you always had a lot of people that would come out and support. Yeah. And I remember in the competition, uh, in the, like the, the finals, everyone's like, well, Jen's got a lot of people coming out. Like she's just going to get the votes or whatever it is. Cause her people mm -hmm. are coming out. And I remember saying, well, this competition's called prove you're a comic. I go, part of being a comic is being able to be big enough to put butts in chairs. 
Yeah. That's part of being a comic. So if you have people that will come out and watch you, what mm. club owner wouldn't book a comic that's going to bring an audience? Yeah. I go, yeah. that's also part of it. So I go, mm-hmm. don't be jealous because nobody wants to see you fucking perform. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? It's just, it's one of those things where there's always going to be people that, that shit on you for, yeah. for hustling, for, for the mm-hmm. grind. You know what I mean? I'm that on Facebook and I just like, I, I honestly looked at that and I was like, of course they'd say that because someone had written, uh, Oh, who won last night? And someone replied the audience. Wow. And I was like, Oh God, you're embarrassing yourself. Like just using that as a crutch, as an excuse as to why you didn't win. And the way the, that competition is designed too, it's very hard to win based on just people you bring out because mm-hmm. you're doing so many shows and there's so many nights where people are voting on you that I'm like, I can't bring out friends every night. Like we performed that those three nights for the preliminary. And yep. then we had like, it's like nine, shows. yeah, eight or nine yeah. shows, something crazy for the finals. And, and they don't all- just vote for the, the one person. They actually have to, to order the, the winners, yeah. their selections, whatever. Yeah. You get points for getting like second place and third place. And, uh, so there were nights where, you know, I had three people or no people in the audience or whatever. So it's just, I always say, I'm like, dude, you're just get to work, get yeah. writing. I'm just better than you suck it up. You yeah. know, or what you're going to say. I know that if, whether I had 60 people in the audience or no people, I'm going to beat you because I'm funnier than you. Yeah. And does that come yeah. from sports? Cause I know I, there's very few comics that can brush off the haters. If you will, yeah. I'm still trying to learn how to do it. Mm-hmm. Well, I still like when I have a bad set, it's still like, you know, you take it personally for sure. Um, but I, you know what? I think I've always had, I grew up with two older brothers. Uh, my mom is a lot like me in, um, just the way you see me teach as well in my, my whole theory, I was talking about tough love before I'm a very, very strong willed person. And sometimes that works against me and sometimes it works for me, but, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm a very confident, strong woman as cliche as that sounds. And I'm confident in who I am and the work. I know how hard I work in all aspects of my life. So that's what I always tell people. I'm like, listen, while you're complaining, I'm at home working. Yeah. I'm always going to come out on top. And whether that be I'm working out or I'm writing jokes or I'm eating healthy, I am doing something to better my life that you are not. And that is why you're in the position that you are. And I'm on top. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's good. It's a healthy way of thinking. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't come out on top on the competition, but I, I came second. I'm trying to remember I, that the first year I, I can't. Oh, that was Adrian, if yes, I'm not mistaken. So yeah. Adrian won. I, I came second twice in that damn competition. And do you know who came dead last in the finals? In the finals? Yeah. So Adrian came in first. You came in second. Do you remember who came in number five? Kyle Brownrigg? Yeah. Yeah. And he won the next year. Did he? Oh, I think we had we had a rule we had to skip a year, so he probably came back and won two years later. Oh, you might have made that rule after the year. Would have been okay, yeah, because we didn't want to have 
this the next year be the exact same four people and then yeah. maybe one person different. I we wanted it. Yeah. But that he was, did. And that's the thing, right? It's like somebody who's also having a ton of success right now. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, and that person. And for him, it's like, oh my God, dead last or whatever. But it's mm-hmm. like, but you see the the people who keep working and yeah, you no, know, you'll get there. And um, when we say dead last in the finals, it means he still came fifth out of like, what, 45 people? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, it's, and it's, it's one of those things too. And it's, I don't know, Jay and I worked very hard to make sure that that competition would be as fair as possible. Cause there's a lot of competitions where they're not fair. There'll be judges and things like that. And then one person will grab all the judges sheets, go into a little office and then come back with the results. And you're like, well, that's interesting. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? And then that person will be like, here's the results to the, the host or whatever. And you're like, interesting. I had one, I didn't do a competition one year where the person who ran the competition wanted me to do it. And I was like, no, you know, I, I'd done three or four, maybe five competitions and I'm super competitive and I can't help it. So I find I'm like, oh, it's just not a fun environment for me because while I'm competitive with sports and that aspect is fun, when it comes to comedy, I don't like this idea of like, I would be in the back in the he- with my headphones because I didn't want to hear how other people were doing because it would get in my head. Right. And it- it wasn't fun for me anymore. And I was like, it's not worth it. Plus it would, they would always be in the summer and I'm like, I'm off. I want to be traveling a little bit and not be tied down to be back in Ottawa. So, and then he said, and, and someone said to me, like the guy who was running the competition, he's like, Oh, you should have done the competition this year. You would have won. And I'm like, well, I don't want to be in a competition where the winner's predetermined. Like that's not yeah. how I win things, you know? And it was only, he said that because I came probably second again I'm like first place loser forever um I came second the year before and I was like yeah well I I want to I would not want to be guaranteed a win and then not have a great set because then that's when people start talking right, right. it's like yeah so not a huge fan of the competitions, but they do definitely come with like there there's a lot of value to them at the beginning especially like it was like a comedy boot camp right mm-hmm. that that competition because that one in particular you know like we said we do eight or nine shows in the finals like you don't ever get that opportunity as an amateur comic yeah and to do them on the weekend in front of people who are paying like weekend prices to see it so like you're getting to and and that it's like the first time unless you're doing open mics which i'm sure you as a professional as much as open mics are stage time it's not the same as being in a packed club like like those people are paying good money to see comedy so that scrutiny of your joke is worth more than like six people who didn't pay to be there. You can't even be like, they're not listening. Well, you can't even judge it. They didn't even come for a comedy show. They came to watch the game and you're talking at them. So like, but to be able to like, to, to do a show and then, okay, in an hour from now I'm doing another one. Like, so I can, I can get right back on the horse and make an adjustment same night. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, I, I I thought it was, uh, it was really cool to see people. And even just a week later, I mean, Mm -hmm. eight shows that that's for some people that's like, six months of club spots <laughs> yeah do you know what yeah. i mean so like yeah. that's really cool to be able to to get all that in in, in a week's time you did great i was gonna ask too i've got to, i gotta go back to my book here okay are you having fun still i am yeah yeah I'm good gonna... an hour and a half already it goes quick oh my god time yeah. flies it does um uh, milestones for you miss labelle are there any sort of real fun things that uh that have gone on in your comedy career that, that you're particularly proud of or any, or any negative milestones like learning experiences? 
Hmm, that's a very good question. Is it? Uh, I, I came up with it myself. Thank you. Well, bo- booking my first festival was uh, was definitely a massive milestone, and that was another time I had to deal with haters. Oh, because I had it was such a funny story. I had started dating Rob in um, in March, and in June. Oh, sorry, I had gone to see him in Halifax in April. And uh, I was like, oh, I really want to come back here and perform. Like, I want to perform on new stages and blah, blah, blah. And my dad used to work for Air Canada, so I could fly standby pretty uh, cheap. And at the time, I was only substitute teaching, so I could take time off when I wanted to. So in June, I was like, I, I got in touch with uh, the Yuck Yucks manager here and was like, can you put in a good word for me? I'd like to go to Halifax and do spots there. And I was paying for my own way, like, I was basically paying to perform just for the experience. Mm-hmm. So I get myself out there. He gets me spots, but he had, he had told the, um, the regional booker, I guess in Toronto, they got their wires crossed and the regional booker ended up booking me for a full middle spot. So 25 minute spot. And I was like, I had never done 25 minutes. And then, so Howard was like, oh my God, you're not ready for that. And I'm like, well, I'm going to make sure I am ready in a month when I'm doing it. So I got to Halifax. I did They didn't try to correct it. They're just like, you're not ready for that. We'll just leave it alone. <laughs> Amazing. Well, Howard said that the guy who booked me, Ryan, at the main office in, in Toronto, he, to this day, has no idea that he made that mistake. Um, so I ended up going. I did the middle spots all week. And there happened to be the festival, Halifax Festival bookers were in the audience to see the headliner uh, during one of my shows. And I had a, a great show and they booked me off that set alone. I even, I sent them a tape in October and they're like, eh. they basically said like, Oh, it wasn't as good as like when we saw you live, but they, so they booked me off like when they saw me live. And so when I got the festival, it happened to be the same year that I had started dating Rob, who obviously is a, a recognized comedian. Uh, and so people were like, Oh, she got, the festival because she's dating Rob Pugh. And I'm like, oh, so again, I just had to be like, whatever, like, I'm going to prove you wrong. And sure enough, I was the most featured comedian on the Halifax Comedy Festival that year. I think they used me in four different episodes. And again, it's because I'm new and I had um, a lot of material that to showcase, right? No one had ever seen me before, but that was a nice feeling, to be honest. Absolutely. And it's a great credit. Yeah, it's a terrific credit. So that was definitely a milestone. Um, And then my first milestone was definitely becoming second in that competition after only doing comedy for for 10 months. And I'd probably only done about eight shows in those 10 months. Um, Yeah, that was a milestone. Trying to think what else. Um, I I mean, if you asked me that question, I probably wouldn't be able to come up with a lot of answers. I tell everybody that. Like, I ask in case there was like... Because I know for some people, some of the conversations I've had, uh, people are like, oh, well, there was this point where I, I was going to quit and, and this happened in my career and it was like my almost, I almost left and never came back. And then some people are like, but yeah. then this happened. Like, so sometimes just in terms of people getting their story out, that, that milestone question. But if you asked me, I'd be like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I have, like, I have certain memories, certain shows that stick in my mind. Mm-hmm. I one show, you know, you just have those shows mine was in Toronto and you just connect with the audience so well. And it was like, I had written the jokes for that audience. Like I had written the jokes, this joke about, um, 
of course it, I hadn't written it for that show, but um, about how guys and girls plan their night differently where mm-hmm. girls go detail and guys are spur of the moment. And I was like, you know, those, guys look at each other like, Oh, I'm, I guess we'll start in Dave's basement and just take it from there. Right. And these guys were laughing so hard. And I swear to God, there was a guy at the table named Dave and they had started drinking in his basement. They were like cheersing and it was just a great feeling. And it was one of those nights where the club was packed and I'm just like, I'm living in nostalgia right now because (laughs) we're performing to like 40 people right now. Right. That's a sold out crowd where when you're used to like 200, it's, Oh, heartbreaking yeah well and it's and the the funny thing is i those those moments are the best in stand-up and it's like that shit never happens at your nine to five yeah do you know what i mean like even parent teacher night while all the parents are there at no point do you get like a standing ovation (laughs) or everyone just loving you yeah and you put in infinitely more work for those people and their children Mm -hmm. than like just to throw like an an idea for a joke. That's, that's why I, I love doing it. And I've had some pretty good jobs that I was like, I just, I I just left. Cause I was like, yeah. And they're like good money. Like I, I tell people what I used to make when I worked for Telus corporate and they're like, why would you leave that? I'm like, didn't care. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and if I left, I'm like within a week, they'd find someone else to do the job. Like that's how replaceable I am in the grand scheme of things. Whereas like, even though there's other comics, when I write a joke, like this thing that people are telling, like, I mean, how many comics have I quoted stories and things like that tonight? It's like, even though, you know, there's other comics telling jokes to create something that other people are sharing and, and making laugh. And like, I I have people that'll see me a year later and they're like, Oh, Hey, we're here with so-and-so. And I'm like, Okay. They're like, remember him? We've been calling him blah, blah, blah all year since you made fun. Like a throwaway crowd work thing became this dude's fucking nickname for a year. And it's their favorite thing. And I didn't remember it five minutes after I was done saying it, but like it meant something to them. Do you know what I mean? Like that kind of shit feels great. Like, so you're absolutely right. Like if you just, just, man, just talking, right. Just point us into the mic. We'll make you laugh. We'll make yeah. your night. Yeah, no, that stuff is, is fantastic. I wanted to ask you this too, is because um, you're saying that you're very like you're scripted and rehearsed. What's mm-hmm. your what's your process for for writing a joke? Um, and you don't have to share it if it's your secret sauce or whatever. But just oh you know. no, my process is usually I like I think of something, whether it be like in conversation with somebody, and we'll be like, oh, that's really funny, um, and then I'll write it down if I'm not in a position to like kind of elaborate on it, I'll just write it down, make notes in my phone and then I'll go back to it and I'll start writing. And then I'll, and that's where I kind of generate a little bit of a script. And sometimes, and you can probably contest to this too. Sometimes things come out when you're on stage and you're like, Oh, that works perfectly. Um, and, Cause I, what was one joke I did? Uh, oh, talking about living at my parents' place. And I was like, I was talking, and I was talking about going to baby showers and wedding showers, and how I hated it. But now I I Uber there because um, they're open bar. And then <laughs> on stage, I said, and when I say Uber, I mean my mom drives me. And I said it on like on a whim on stage, and I got such a big laugh, so I kept it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I would say my main process is just like something, not to be cheesy, but inspires me to write a joke. And, uh, usually it's just everyday stuff. 
like my friend and I making fun of a girl and then calling her heart of gold, you know? Right. Like, right. Yeah. Oh, bless her heart though. Bless her. Yeah. heart. Though. She's, a, she's a sweetie <laughs> pie. <laughs> There's so much of that. Like if you could see like on my, on my desk here, it's literally nothing but papers of like ideas that never became jokes. That happens too. When you look through something, you're like, what was I talking about? Yeah. What was I talking about? Yeah. I know I wasn't high. Yeah. <laughs> so, or do you ever like think of an idea and you're like, you think it's so funny, but you try it on stage and it doesn't work. You're like, no, it's going to get there. There's something there. And you're like, no, people just, they can't. A lot of the times, the ones that I bring to the stage are the ones that I'm like, this, this is going to work. I, I, and I'm not saying that everything I do on stage, but, but I, I, yes, short answer. Yes. But there's some that I'm like, there's some that I'm almost like, this isn't funny. And then other people are like, no, that's really funny. And I'm like, it's not funny. I'm really hard on my material. Okay. Really hard on it. Maybe, yeah. maybe that, maybe there's a defense mechanism thing to the, uh, the crowd work too. Because if I, if a crowd work thing doesn't work, I'd be like, ah, I put no effort into it. But like right. a joke that you're like, oh my God, this is so funny. And then you're putting it together <laughs> and it's just, no, I'm like, really? I don't <laughs> I, work on things. I worked on this. It's perfect. I, I worked on this. You don't like it's so it. I, I wrote one joke, <laughs> one joke during quarantine. One. Oh, I've probably written that as well. It one or two. doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> I had to get out of bed three times to write this joke because I was like, I'm in bed and I'm laughing to myself. And I'm like, I'm like, I'll just write, I'll have to write this tomorrow. And you're like, you're not going to write it tomorrow. You're going to yeah, wake up gonna... and forget. Like, Fuck. Get out, get out of bed, which is the worst. The be bed is the best. Get out of bed, write the fuck on the back of some scrap paper, write, write it down, write it down, write it down. Back to bed, thinking about it some more, laughing some more, come up with some new lines. Fuck yeah. sakes, sheets up, back out of bed, write down the new things that I've thought of. Back to bed, <laughs> more spitballing, for fun, like just at, in and out of bed like three times, writing shit down. Uh, and it doesn't work. I think it's <laughs> fucking hilarious. Doesn't work. It's, I was trying to say how like, uh, I, I don't know how to get into it and I haven't worked on it since I just wrote all the stuff down. So I remember it and I have been playing with it on stage, but the idea is that I'm saying like, I, I get that women don't like anal sex. I get it. There's nothing, there's nothing for you guys, mm -hmm. right? It's painful. It's uncomfortable, right? I get it. There's no, there's no reason that you should like it. And it's really not fair for guys to ask you to do it. Yeah. I just wish women would understand that listening to your day is the anal sex for men. I should say it's painful. It's uncomfortable. It's only for you. Why the I fuck do. are we expected to do it so much more than? <laughs> I see but a I, lot in giving you the death stare on stage. Yeah, yeah. And then I and then I even wrote down all these different act out points. Going, you don't think they're the same? You tell me what's going on here. And then there's like a lot of like, mm hmm. Mm -hmm. No, no, I'm into it. I'm into it. Let's do, you know, like just. Yeah. No, I wasn't thinking about something else. You're almost done. You're almost done. It's, it's like you tell me what's happening in that fucking scenario. <laughs> I think it's hilarious. I'm not saying that obviously the exaggeration, right? But <laughs> just gonna say I think the rule should be that you can talk about your day while we're doing alien. When you're done, we're done. 
I really, <laughs> I really teach some of you ladies to speed these fucking stories up. <laughs> Anyways, that's, but that's, that's all. And it's stupid. It's a stupid joke, but I think it's fucking hysterical. I like anything where you can build parallels where there shouldn't be. Yeah. But yes, it doesn't, it doesn't do well on stage. I'll get some guys laugh and then you hear them rain it in real quick <laughs> as they get the fucking elbow to the ribs or whatever. <laughs> I think I've thought of more TikTok ideas than actual stand-up jokes since during quarantine. I'm so old. Like every <laughs> every three months, there's another social media platform. And I'm like, I can't. <laughs> You've heard of TikTok, though. Oh, right? I know what it is. Okay. Yeah. I don't get it. <laughs> I didn't start it until, well, when quarantine hit. And then I was like, well, we got to find something to entertain. And it is so entertaining. Oh, my but God. But aren't they just musical sketches? No, not everything. I mean, there's like cool dance videos. There's funny, like people do their own content as well. So they'll do funny little skits. Um, it's a lot of like, it's a lot of memes, I guess. Like my friend and I want to do this one where it's, you know, uh, when the phone rings in 1991 versus in 2021. And it's like you rushing to the phone and someone get the phone and you're all panicking. You're trying to get your boots off from outside. And, and it's just... You know, because you you don't obviously have color. So that's like the caption, the answering the phone in 1991 versus 2021. Then you do this funny skit and people right. are like, oh, that's true. And then there's stuff that like you can dub your voice um, where you're like lip singing or whatever. There's just I don't know. I've seen a lot of that, like because yeah. for whatever reason, people's videos are on Instagram. Their TikToks are on Instagram. So I'm going yeah, through and I'm just seeing the little post them on both. Yeah. Well, Kamar was talking about TikTok like a few years ago, going, well, there's this new thing. TikTok's going to be the biggest thing. And, and sure enough. But it's like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, fucking Vine yeah. was a thing that's gone. Uh, yeah. Uh, TikTok, like, I don't know. Instagram are the biggest ones now. Yeah, I don't mind using Instagram. I Facebook, eh. But there's some people no. that are only on Facebook. I basically, I never go on Facebook, any, Facebook anymore. I just like link my Facebook to my Instagram because I have a lot of family members who are older that don't use. They finally uh, figured out Facebook after 20 years. Yeah. And they're, and like, they're like me. They're not, they're not going to move on to another platform. <clears throat> but yeah, it's different. And then with Instagram, there's just, I, like I tell students, there's so many pros. Like if you use social media to its advantages, like I, I love, I track a lot of like workouts and healthy recipes and dog videos that make me happy. <laughs> I love animal videos. <laughs> yeah. They're the best. Yeah. My Facebook feed for the longest time was just animal videos. Like, yeah. uh, yeah. Mine is all dogs. Like if you go into my search page, because it always generates stuff that you've liked or, you know, you've posted about or whatever. So my search page is just all dogs, fitness, friends, and Simon Baker. What's Simon Baker? I, I, I don't know why. Okay. I don't know what it is. My first knee-jerk reaction, country singer. <laughs> no, that's a okay. good guess, though. Okay. He is the actor from The Mentalist. <laughs> you don't know that show uh that's what he's most known for he's an australian actor and he was he did the mentalist it was just eight seasons and i've watched it like three times in quarantine it's terrible i have like a severe addiction to him okay uh, but it's him he, right he, i assume he's attractive oh he's so attractive um have you seen devil wears prada i'm straight you know that, right? <laughs> hey that is a great movie my boyfriend okay he's gonna kill me but he <laughs> 
that movie. Um, What's it about? Devil Wears Prada? Yeah, I'm, I'm pulling up a picture of this this mentalist guy. That fucking guy? Oh, yeah. Him? Yeah. This fucking guy? Oh, my God, what a tasty delight that man is. That is not the best picture of him, but... How come I... Cl- oh, it's because it's the mentalist. I was going to say, I, I thought I brought up his thing. I swipe... And it's like some redhead. I'm like, oh, he's <laughs> he's way hotter in this picture. <laughs> it's a chick. Oh, he's so hot. I've seen him in other things. He was in, uh, if I'm not mistaken, L.A. Confidential, I believe he was yes. in that. Yeah, oh, that fuck. was his first movie. Great movie. All-star yeah. cast. The mental. What is this? Simon Baker. What is this? His IMDb picture doesn't even look like him. Yeah, that's like- what he in real life he's like kind of a surfer dude oh with his glasses he always has these cool glasses oh my god actually kind of like the ones you're wearing <laughs> can he can he act though i think he's wonderful um i think a lot of yeah. people are wonderful they can't fucking act though <laughs> no i he's good he's passable i don't know i just stare at him he's so... he's australian yeah. And I think part of it is, is, you know, as women, we love like good men. It's, it's almost more attractive to us when the man like talks about his wife and how much he loves her in like interviews. And he's like very down to earth. He's been married to his wife for like 25 years. He's got three kids. His daughter actually is not much younger than me. <laughs> I'm 34. She's like, I think his eldest is like 27 or something. Wow. He's, he's older than he looks, but oh God. Yeah, well, women really do. Like, there's that, that old saying is that no woman wants a man that another woman doesn't already want. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So it's like the wedding. Okay, so here, my first female interview. Is <laughs> is that wedding ring like catnip for women when they see a guy? It, yeah. I mean, I'm not someone who looks at a wedding ring and being like, oh, now I want him. Like, I don't No, no, him. no. But I mean that like. It's, it's very, it's a man more attractive for sure. Yeah. And if they're holding a child, which is funny because I don't even like kids that much. I work with teenagers, not kids. Yeah, but yeah. if they're holding a baby or something, it's like just biological. It's like our ovaries start like pulsating. <laughs> <laughs> it's so attractive. So picture an episode of The Mentalist and he's holding a baby and he's got his goddamn wedding ring on. I'm like, oh, Jesus. That's interesting because <laughs> I've had women like I, uh, even Nikki Glazer said one time, like she saw a picture of her ex-boyfriend holding a baby and she like lost her mind. <laughs> And she's also someone who's like, I'm not interested in kids or whatever. Yeah. It I'm going to have to borrow my brother's baby. He's got one of them things. I'm going to borrow that. I said, I'll have to borrow my brother's baby. <laughs> just walk around with it. He's cute. No, just, just, just for head. I'll do headshots. And I'll be like, I get headshots taken. I give you that kid. And he's funny because I can get him laughing. He's got this funny little like grin where he crinkles <laughs> yeah. his nose or whatever. Whenever he thinks he's getting away with something. So I'll put things on the table just within his reach and he'll reach out and grab them. I go, oh, what did you say? <laughs> this is funny little, anyways, that's cool. That'll be my strategy. I'll just borrow up. I'll be the baby borrowing bastard. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how we got on the subject. This Australian dude. <laughs> I don't know, but I'll talk about him all day. <laughs> just yeah. I'm, I'm more, yeah. I'm more interested <laughs> in these fucking. Because Hemsworth is one. That's my go-to whenever I'm trying to talk about a guy who I yeah. think women like. He's Australian. He's married. Yeah. He's got he's kids. He's attractive as well. He's so beautiful. Um, like that's And that's a word to, like, he's beautiful. Whereas I find Simon Baker, he's got a bit of, like, he's got a bit of wrinkles to him. He doesn't look like a mannequin. Uh, I don't know. He's got some. He looks dorky to me. He looks like he should be playing chess. 
<laughs> no, he's like a, a really good surfer. I talk about him like he's my friend. That's hilarious. <laughs> I'm a lunatic. How much? Well, hey, no, but you, I know how we got on him because you were saying in your search history, dogs, fitness, friends, oh, yeah. and Baker. Simon Baker. And I'm like, who the fuck is that? It, sound, <laughs> it sounds like a country singer. I'm Simon Baker. And I hate the queers. <laughs> like what? <laughs> I like this guy. True. <laughs> oh my god. That's funny. No, mine was all like animal videos. So yeah. like any anything where like again, I always think of this bit by um oh wow. That I know his name. Why can't I think of such an asshole? He's co-host with Big J Okerson, Dan Soder. That's the okay. one. Dan Soder has this hilarious bit about how um he can't watch he doesn't watch porn anymore. Okay. He's like, I like to, I like to cry. I like to have a, a good cry every now and again. You know what I mean? I, I'm butchering the beginning, but he says, you know, like, you know, it's like, I, I think crying is like an orgasm for your soul. You know what I mean? He goes, look at you guys. Like I was up here talking about masturbating five minutes ago and you guys were all like, yeah, but now I'm up here. I'm like, I like to have a good cry. And you're like, you monster. And he's like, I think it's because I'm calling it crying. Like you guys can't get on board with it. So I don't call it crying anymore. I call it face coming. <laughs> it's like, it's an orgasm for your soul. He's like, you know, you can go home tonight and you can touch yourself. You can watch two shaved toned bodies bang into each other. <laughs> Me, I'd rather watch videos of two animals that shouldn't be friends that are friends. He goes, I don't know why that sick elephant's friends with that golden retriever, but it's starting to make my chest tight. Think about, <laughs> think about the bust of face nut. <laughs> That's I so fucking, true. I die laughing. It's like, I don't know why they're friends. Start oh, to make my chest tight. Because <laughs> I've been trying to write a joke about how women often, like my friends and I talk about this all the time, how we're like, you know, I just needed a good cry. Like you never hear a man say that, but sure enough. I, I've been trying to cry for probably a good three years now. <laughs> oh my God. I watched the same movie twice with my students this week, like different classes. And I cried both times. I'm getting it. Out, I, I'm getting it out of my system. Like, like I, cause I'm like, I just, I feel like I would probably get rid of a lot of stress and maybe gain like a year back to my life. If I could just let out some of this pain. Yeah. Instead yeah. of like fucking yelling about nothing. <laughs> Like little tiny fucking issues that, that come out. How long yeah. do I have MacBook? It's telling me, uh, I'm running out of power here. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Oh, geez. Uh, turn on display. No, no, no. I don't want to turn on display. How much time do we have? Give me a, give me a, a thing. 9%. I think that'll buy us enough time Back to face time here. Yeah. I, uh, I, I wish like, yeah, my, instead it like comes in anger about other things. I'm yeah. like, I just need a good cry. So I'm like, I'll watch like for some reason, like the littlest hobo theme would get me every time when I was a kid, <laughs> ball my fucking eyes out to stuff like that. There's so many things that just like, why like Don Bluth movies, you know what I mean? Like, an, yeah. like the songs from an American tale or the land before time, like oh, that, just yeah. that sad shit that'll get to me, but I can't seem to like, to, Jason, one of the angriest people I know. He's such a cry baby. He is. How do you know that? Cause I've seen him cry myself. Really? Yeah, I've seen him cry a couple times. <laughs> it, he cries like the dumbest shit. He'll be such an asshole to the people that love him. Yeah. But then he'll he watches like you know America's Got Talent or all these different ones from around the world, and there'll be like a little Vietnamese girl with no arms playing a violin with her feet, and he's bawling like a little bitch in his bed. 
don't know that's a real thing, but it's like that kind of, oh, it's so beautiful. <laughs> what the hell is wrong with you? Anyways. <laughs> that's so funny. There's certain movies that get me every time. <laughs> name name one. Name one. Yeah, Just I love fun. you. Girls are like, why do we watch that movie? I'm like, maybe he won't die this time, but it's that's what the movie's about. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, he set up these elaborate gifts, so they're all. <laughs> She's like, he's still there, but he's dead. <laughs> I have to watch that movie just so I can ruin it for all these women that love it. That's oh. that's what a guy's fucking job is—a prick. To just oh, you love this thing? Let me watch it with you. No, oh no, come on! I want to share in your interest. Uh, <laughs> just narrate through the entire thing. All right, I'll rob that all the time. I'm like, hey, I don't want to watch this if you're gonna fucking ruin the whole thing. Yeah. Enjoy my Simon Baker time. Yeah, stop bringing logic into this. This is purely <laughs> emotional for me. Okay, um, I had fun. I'm I'm just worried that this is gonna this is gonna just dead halt on me here. But okay. well, if people have made it through this whole podcast, I'd be very impressed. But really, you mentioned my Instagram. Uh, yes, the fit and funny. Yeah, um, it's uh, my like I started a fitness page like not too long ago. I've, I've been into fitness for a very long time. I love sports and whatnot. And I started training my friends back. And uh, they kind of over Google Meet. And they kind of convinced me to take it to Instagram. So I just <laughs> Sorry. I'm trying desperately. If you only can see, I've got like four inches from the cord to the computer <laughs> trying to plug it in. But it's hooked up to so many other things that I can't just lift it up and move it. Your face is making me laugh like, so hard. Um, yeah, so my friends were like, you should do the like the workout. So I do live workouts twice a week on Instagram um, on Tuesdays and Saturdays. If you want to know more, they can look at my uh, All Things Fit and Funny page or just search Jen LaBelle, Jen with two N's. And, uh, is there Jen's with just one N? Yeah, yeah, there are. Okay, well, you learn something new every day. Oh, it's wrapped around the fucking other cord. That's why I can't, like... <laughs> my life is a series of just... No, it's not going to happen, buddy. Should have fucking planned ahead. Uh, I don't know what 9% means on fucking MacBooks, but we're at 6 now, so how long is... I can't even do the math on... It starts on... to go down quickly when you reach, like, 10%. It goes down much faster than when you're, like, 50%. Oh, does it? Yeah. Well, that sucks. It... Anyway... Well, check out Jen's stuff, guys. I have seen your fit and funny uh, page. I've seen your exercises. I don't do them, but <laughs> I'm like, that's a happy person right there. She's got her shit together. <laughs> I'm going to just have another coffee and try to go to sleep, which makes no sense. Yeah. You'd I'm, be a trying, I'm trying to release more content for like beginners and whatnot, but I'm at a point where I'm like, okay, well, if I get more followers requesting that, I'll do it, but it is time consuming, right? So I'm just like releasing content that, is for me and my friends and the people following me so far. So if you're interested, follow me and just request it, comment on my stuff and I'll create what people ask for. Really. Awesome. Well, yeah. thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. Did you have fun? I had a lot of fun. It was, it was really fun shooting shit just with someone I don't see every day. Yeah, exactly. No, it was great. And I, I could have talked about a million other things. Um, but thanks for doing this. I hope to get to share the stage with you again sometime soon. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure.